Good morning, and thank you to Sophie to re- for reading the scripture for us. My name's Nick. I'm the associate minister here at Knox Church, and if you've been with us for a little bit, you know that we are spending the summer looking at the Ten Commandments, sitting with them, letting them speak to our hearts and our lives. And if this is your first Sunday with us, it's also a really good Sunday to be joining in because there's the start of a turn that's happening with this commandment. First, I should say that this commandment is perhaps the greatest challenge that we've been given so far. And that's not to say that the other commandments we've heard are easy. We all struggle to have no other gods but God. We struggle not to make idols out of anything created which will surely disappoint us. We struggle to bring proper honor and glory to God's name in all of our lives. These things are not simple things. They're not easy things. But for most of us, we probably agree with them at least in principle. We have no objection to the first three commandments. We just find that the work of sin in our lives and the work of sin in our world causes us to do that which we desire we did not do. But at least these words of God we want to obey. We see how these commands do give us good boundaries for healthy and flourishing relationships with our Creator. And now... Now, four commandments into this list, we may actually stop to ask ourselves, do we agree with this? Do we want what this commandment wants for us? God commands, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And in response to hearing these words, our minds quickly compile the list of reasons why that's impractical why that's unnecessary, why it would actually be far worse for us if we did keep the Sabbath than if we just go on not worrying about it. We are not a people very much accustomed to rest. Our church comes from this tradition that has phrases associated with it like Protestant work ethic, right? That's, that's the context we're coming from here. We live in a time when the setting of the sun no longer means that we must cease our work because electric lights allow our work to continue at all times at very little cost. We live in a context where we are always connected. Phones in our pockets. One of the only times I don't have my phone very near to me is when I'm preaching, so I can't show you that. But otherwise, phones in our pockets. And the reason I don't have it when I'm preaching is because we know that emails and notifications get sent to us by push, right? Push notifications. You don't need to look. You don't need to check your mail. Don't worry about it. It'll find you. Always connected. This is the context we live in. And we live in a culture where workaholism is the norm. After-hours communication and weekend tasks are commonplace. And it's gotten to the point in our society where even our government has had to consider what a right to disconnect should look like and should mean. For many of us, our work comes home with us by default, and it follows us every hour of every day. And I think that we would all be very comfortable with a God who commanded that we work. If this fourth commandment was, and you shall work and labor in the earth and bring about good things, well, that'd be great, 
We can worship that kind of God. We do choose to worship that kind of God because that makes sense to us. But this isn't the command that the living God offers to his people. We would find such a command reassuring, maybe, encouraging even. But most strangely, we worship a God that commands that we rest. If you took law or history classes in school, you may have learned something about ancient legal codes, and you may have heard about the Code of Hammurabi, which is one of the oldest and most complete examples of law that we have from history. It also comes from the ancient Near East, just like this passage, these verses we've been reading together. And it even resembles in some ways the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments. This in itself isn't very surprising. When cultures interacted, they would often borrow or steal the best ideas and apply them in ways that made sense for their context and their culture. And so the popular academic theory goes that this code of Hammurabi was one of the legal codes that influenced the recording of the law of Moses. But what's strange and what I only discovered this week in preparing for today's sermon is that we have no knowledge of any other ancient culture having a law like this law, that its people observe a day of rest. This seems to be unique to Israel, and we can say unique to the God that we worship. While we might find this law especially challenging for us, it seems as if it was just as challenging to the people who first received it. When daylight is precious, how can you just give up a whole day of working? A few chapters before this, God gives manna, bread, in the wilderness to the Israelites to provide for them on their long journey. And he gives them enough on the sixth day, but they don't have to gather on the seventh and they can rest. Yet still, it says that some people go out on the seventh day looking for manna, looking for this bread that isn't there because they already have enough. It is perhaps because this law was always such a challenge that it is the most frequently mentioned law in all of the Old Testament. The Sabbath comes to define the people of Israel. The Sabbath is also frequently despised by their neighbors. How can you do business or trade with a culture that if you happen to show up after a long journey when they're resting, they just won't do business with you? The Romans, in fact, thought that it was a sign of laziness that the Jewish people observed the Sabbath so strictly. Maybe we also judge others who adhere very strictly to their day of rest. Maybe we are more shaped by Rome than by Moses ourselves. But this is the command that God gives to God's people, that God gives to us. Remember the Sabbath day. And keep it holy. Why does it matter though? Why is it so important to God that we remember the Sabbath day? Why is it so important for us to do this that it makes the top 10? Right? Really? In the top 10? The obvious reason to command this would seem to be that the Israelites were just slaves for hundreds of years in Egypt. Right? That would make a lot of sense. But that's not the reason God gives. It's a good reason. It's the expected reason. And when the book of Deuteronomy retells this law, that is the reason that it gives. 
But here, in this telling, we read this. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. In Exodus, in the story that's about not being slaves anymore, God doesn't say, you know what? You've all just worked really hard for generations in Egypt. Take a load off. We'll get back to that working business some other time. Rather, God says, remember your creation. Remember before you were slaves. Remember your true identity. Remember that I made you. Remember how I made you. Remember what I made you to enjoy. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. The command to keep the Sabbath is one of only two positive commands in the Decalogue. There are eight things that we are told not to do, that we must not do, and only two which we are instructed to do. And these two come together right in the middle, emphasizing their importance. Keeping the Sabbath is something that we get to do. And we should view it as something worth celebrating rather than begrudgingly obeying. We should see it as a joy rather than a duty or an obligation. It is worth celebrating that we have been made in the image of God. We have been made to be as God is. And so it is in the fourth commandment that God invites Israel and us to do just that. God speaks to Israel who have forgotten their identity as God's children, forgotten that they are image bearers after long slavery in a foreign land. And God speaks to us, us who more often than not define ourselves by our work or by our lack of work, define ourselves by our studies or our dreams of what we will do one day. And God says to us all simply this, be as I am, do as I do, rest as I rested. So what is the Sabbath? What is that rest supposed to look like? Hopefully by now you agree that we should maybe think about keeping it. But what should it look like? Sabbath is intended to be holy time. Holy places, holy things, these we understand easily enough. We gather in this building, in this beautiful sanctuary, which has been set apart, especially for the gathering of God's people and for worship of the triune God, a holy place. And that makes sense to us. And we have holy things. We have this baptismal font, which we have said is set apart for the sacrament of holy baptism. And if somebody were to take this baptismal font, somehow it's quite heavy, and bring it outside and make it a bird bath, well, some people would get very upset about that. And fair enough. And we have this table, which for us is a sign and a symbol of the sacrament of Holy Communion. It is at this table that we together gather to be nourished by our Lord, where we meet our Lord and receive a taste of the rest that is offered in Him. And when there are weddings in our sanctuary and paperwork has to be done during the ceremony, we make clear that this table is not for that that this table has been set apart for another purpose. 
We understand holy places, and we understand holy things. And so the Sabbath is meant to be holy time. Time which has been set apart from all the other uses of time to be used for God's purposes. And what does God desire that we would do with our time? Only that which God desires we would do with our lives. In the words of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, that we would glorify God and enjoy God forever. This is the goal of Sabbath that we would glorify God and enjoy God forever, that in resting, we would bring glory to God by imaging and mirroring, choosing to pattern our lives after God's life, that in those hours, we would find rest and joy in God's very self, that those hours would be marked with a special communion with God, which helps us to know and enjoy God more deeply through all the other days of the week. Sabbath is a day marked by worship, by prayer, by attentiveness to God's work in the world and in all creation around us. The American pastor Eugene Peterson famously argued that Sabbath is an invitation to us to pray and to play. That both of these things are an important aspect of true and full Sabbath rest. It is a day spent with God, and it is a day spent with, in leisure. And that sounds like a juxtaposition to us because we genuinely can't imagine that it can be fun spending time with God, right? Like, that's shocking to us. Sabbath sounds like worse than our work. We don't want to just pray all day long, but that's not it. Prayer is not just quiet time by yourself. Prayer is communion with the living God. Sabbath is a time of prayer and play with the God who loves us and who desires good for us and fun for us too. Sabbath gives us the gift of perspective. It offers us the opportunity to remember that the world will continue on just fine without us, that our work is sustained by God's will and not by our striving and that there is greater joy in what God is still at work doing in our lives and in the world, even while we rest, than there is in what we have been trying to accomplish. Often, what we've been trying to accomplish without God. Abraham Heschel, the American rabbi and Jewish scholar, wrote of Sabbath keeping, and there are a lot of slides, Victoria, so you'll have to track with me here. But he wrote, he who wants to enter the holiness of the day must first lay down the profanity of clattering commerce, of being yoked to toil. He must go away from the screech of dissonant days, from the nervousness and fury of acquisitiveness and the betrayal of embezzling his own life. He must say farewell to manual work and learn to understand that the world has already been created and will survive without the help of man. Six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Six days a week we seek to dominate the world. On the seventh day, we try to dominate the self.
On the seventh day, we try to dominate the self, Rabbi Heschel says. And the clue to this truth, which we see embedded in this commandment, is that this, four commandments in, this is the first commandment to mention other people. Sabbath is not just for you. Sabbath is not just for me. Sabbath is for everyone in our family, everyone who works for us, everything that we care for, everyone who we know. This list is meant to be exhaustive. Rest is meant to be enjoyed together by young and old, male and female, free and slave, native and resident foreigner, animal and human. All of us together rest. Sabbath is done in community. That is why it's so important that we come together to worship God in community. Because together we can discern God's presence more readily. Together we can see the rich diversity of all God's creation. And together we can enjoy God's presence. That's why so often we say as a church that we want to be an intergenerational and intercultural church because Sabbath is for everyone in all creation at once. And this is strange for us too because isn't our idea of rest a sunny beach vacation being waited on hand and foot, right? Isn't our idea of rest when our spouse offers to cook dinner and do the dishes and take care of the laundry all so we can just take it easy? Isn't that what rest really is? Isn't rest just more work for somebody else? No, at least not Sabbath rest. Sabbath is when all creation keeps pace with its creator. And if we observe the Sabbath, but by our actions, we require that everybody else or somebody else is not able to rest, then we have broken this commandment. Because our rest is meant to invite others into rest as well, not just to make more work. There are things that just will not be done if we rest on the Sabbath. And we have to trust that God will take care of those details. This commandment isn't just about our relationship with God. It's about all creation's relationship with its creator. And as part of creation, we ought to be helping all the other parts to take rest and delight in God as well. Not being so diligent to ensure that we get that opportunity only to extract extra work from others while we feign our piety. All too often, rest and leisure have been the unique domain of the rich and the powerful. The poor have always had to work. The curse of the fall that by the sweat of Adam's brow he would eat food until the day he returned to the ground seems to have been predominantly borne by the poor. The rich have often eaten and enjoyed their rest by the sweat of others' brow. How much more clearly can we see this even in our own lives than by the sad economics of food delivery apps? While gig economy workers work side hustle after side hustle as independent contractors, often on top of regular jobs just to make rent in our city, there are others who support a system 
which seeks to exploit the need and vulnerability of many of their drivers. The ease of ordering dinner from an app is not the Sabbath rest which God has commanded. And this is just a low-level, easy example. I think we know that the list is much more robust than that. The injustice that not all can rest reminds us of the brokenness of our world and that the command to keep the Sabbath holy moves us beyond the imperative simply not to work. Beyond rest in the fallen world, Sabbath is also about restoration. So we have pray and play, and we have rest and restoration. Restoration such that all creation is able to enjoy rest. In the reading from Mark 2, which we heard today, Jesus is challenged because his disciples aren't keeping the Sabbath the way that the Pharisees felt it should be kept. Remember when I said that Sabbath was the most mentioned law in the Old Testament? One of the main reasons for that was they kept adding rules to it. They kept adding things that you couldn't do if you were really keeping the Sabbath. And the disciples were now way out of bounds for those additional rules. They were doing what was not lawful. They were plucking heads of grain. And Jesus reminds the Pharisees simply, the Sabbath was made for people. The Sabbath needs to serve people's needs. It cannot be so onerous as to make it seem like we live only to satisfy the heavy burdens of the law. Like David, who ate and shared bread set apart specifically for priests and did so unlawfully, it seemed that the disciples were hungry And the intention of God's Sabbath law was not that people should have to go hungry one day a week, but that people should find rest. And if they need to pluck a few heads of grain before they're able to rest, then they can pluck grain. It's okay. And it's the same idea in another story. In Luke 14, when Jesus asks if it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath, he receives no answer, of course, so he heals a man. Jesus uses the Sabbath to work, but to work restoration in others' lives. By healing the man, Jesus allows that man to enter rest. And as we just heard, true Sabbath requires that all are able to rest in God. Jesus makes this clear as he asks those who are gathered, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, Will you not immediately pull it out? If a child or an ox is in a well, pulling them out is the action which allows rest to happen. Leaving them only allows strife and turmoil to linger, anxiety and fear in our own lives, where Sabbath seeks peace. Sabbath seeks restoration. If Sabbath is about enjoying God's presence, And if Sabbath in our fallen world is about restoring things such that rest in God may be enjoyed, then it is clear why Jesus declares that he is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus himself, we can say, is our Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. 
Because Jesus is the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He himself is the one who came to reconcile and restore all that is broken, ushering in a new creation of abundance and life. Jesus is our rest, and Jesus is the source of all restoration. It is Sabbath rest in the kingdom of God, which is life as we were made to know it. And it is that rest which Jesus makes possible in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension for all who follow him. Sabbath is not only the end of creation. When God creates the world and the universe in six days and on the seventh, rests from his labors. That's where it starts. But Sabbath is also the first action of the crucified Christ. After declaring it is finished, he rests in the grave the work of salvation now complete. And Sabbath is also the joyful celebration of the kingdom of God when the one who sits on the throne and makes all things new will declare it is done and will give water to the thirsty from the spring of life. At creation, there is Sabbath rest. At salvation, there is Sabbath rest. And in new creation, there is Sabbath rest. This is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus does, because Jesus is the very image of the invisible God, and our God is a God who rests from his labor when it is complete, and invites us as those who bear his name in the world and his image in our creative goodness do likewise. Rest in God is the full realization of our living, and it is the hope of our faith. As Hebrews 4 says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. The command to remember the Sabbath day is an invitation to intentionally, once a week, Try to experience the goodness of relationship with God, completely dependent on our creator, and to know that somehow in that experience of that day, we also are beginning to experience the truth of the world that is to come, that we will find all our rest at last in the Lord, and his words will be found true, that those who are victorious will inherit this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Dear friends, as God's beloved children, let us keep his commands and find life and joy in the Sabbath until we know the new heavens and the new earth and are restored to all rest at last in him. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Would you pray with me? God, who at creation rested from your work, who after doing the work of salvation and your living and your dying, rested in the tomb, who promises rest for all who come to you. We come to you today, and we know that we are restless people, that we are people who love and define ourselves by work, who demand 
work for ourselves for our worth, who demand and expect work from others for our good. And we are challenged by your command that we should remember the Sabbath, should be as you are, should find our rest in you. We pray that you would help us to reshape our lives, to value prayer and play, to value rest and restoration, to come to you and to find rest for our souls. We pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us in this rest, would help us to set aside our work and to trust in your continued provision and care for us, for our families, and for the whole world. We pray this in Jesus' name, who is our Sabbath rest. Amen. We often like to have some reflection time, but this week it doesn't feel like reflection questions are the thing that you really need, that we really need. And so there's a challenge this week. And as Adam plays in just a minute, I want you to take out your shopping or dining out, reading scripture, praying, going for a walk, enjoying nature, playing games with your family, all mindful of God's presence and delight in our joy, in our participation of revealing his coming kingdom during our waking hours together. And then next week, ask others at church how that went. Don't skip church next week, but come back next week and ask other people how this went for them. What unexpected goodness did you find in doing this? So you're going to have a minute and a half, two minutes here. Look at your calendar. Find those six hours. Plan to do this. Plan to talk about it with each other next week. Okay? Let's do it.